Hey, everybody, just a few quick housekeeping notes before we get to the podcast. First off, please rate, review, subscribe, follow on whatever your podcast listening device or app is. Uh, Please tell your friends about The Imperfect Game. Um, Also, please tell your friends about The Random Division. That is the podcast I do with my wife. We are currently doing a little series on the last decade in pop culture and we're releasing an episode every Friday covering one specific topic. Um, The first episode covers TV, uh, and then we're going to talk about technology and music and fashion. Um, So every Friday there'll be a new podcast out. So please check that out at The Random Division. And finally, this podcast ends um, a little bit abruptly, and that's because Both and I went off and discussed what was going on in English soccer around the league. Um, But this first about hour covers just one specific thing, the history and present times of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Bah thought it would be fun to talk about and research one specific team in the league that is not in the top six. We picked Wolves. It was very interesting. Um, So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. We are planning on doing this uh, more often and just researching a team and talking about them and maybe teaching some folks and ourselves about some other teams in England that aren't uh, the big ones. Um, All right, let's get to the podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Imperfect Game Podcast. I'm Sean Melia, joined today by Both. Both, welcome back. Hi, thanks. Good to be back. Three weeks in a row. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm pretty happy, pretty pretty pumped. (laughs) It's a streak now. Yeah. Um, So we, last week when we talked, we had we had uh, a little bit of an idea to just talk and find out and learn a little bit more about a club that is not necessarily in this, you know, the top six, the last two weeks, as we were talking, we, I think we just gravitate towards what you know and, and what's kind of consumable and, uh, and what you read. And most of that stuff contains, you know, the life of Arsenal, Chelsea, United city, Tottenham and, and Liverpool and as an Arsenal and United fan, that's kind of where we gravitate anyways. So you had an you had a, a idea, maybe we should just kind of look at a club and um and see what uh what the history is within a just a, another club in England, learn about something. Uh and you are gonna kind of poke around and look at the 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 current structure of of the team. And I said I'd kind of look back at the history and we would just kind of combine our powers and and talk a little bit about a club. Um, ironically enough, I just as I'm thinking about this, we wanted to do a club outside of the top six, and we chose the team that finished seventh last year. Yeah, <laughs> just outside the top six, right? Yeah, just well, maybe it's, it's just outside, but but uh, by rule they are, were outside the top six. Um, so we've kind of landed on on Wolverhampton Wanderers, also known as Wolves, and uh, so I, I I kind of went back and did. Um, some research truth be told I did it was a lot of kind of Wikipedia and jumping between some links and following links um, just like I would tell all of my students to try to avoid doing if they were writing a paper and right. if I was writing a paper about wolves I would also go find articles and some stuff that wasn't just um, Wikipedia but I, I did find some really interesting stuff and kind of got a pretty good sense of this club and I had no idea the rich history uh, that lived within this club. I don't know if did, did you do you have any sense of or did you have any sense of how old this club was? No, no. To be honest, I'm um, you know I thought I thought Wolves was kind of just this small time club uh, that would just you know kind of pop up on the radar every so often. Um, obviously that's, that's a huge insult to, to the Wolves fan base and the Wolves history. Um, but I'm not, you know, too proud to admit that I, I didn't know. So, yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you have, so the first thing I did was I just, I just looked up where Wolverhampton as a city is. Um, do you have any sense of what it's close to or where it is in, in uh in relation to other big cities in in england because I, no, I had no idea uh, no no straight up no so uh, i i do know like they always say midlands but i don't really know my geographies that well yeah so it is in the midlands and the midlands is wolverhampton is if you drew a straight line between 
London and like the Manchester Liverpool area, which are two cities that are relatively close to each other. Um, Wolverhampton is like a two and a half hour drive from London and a two hour drive from Liverpool and Manchester. Uh, so it's kind of smack in the middle of the Island of Great Britain. Um, and yeah, it's like kind of where Leicester is another city that's very close. Um, so Wolverhampton has 250,000 people in it. Um, and that's in the 2011 census. So it's a pretty small city. Um, in relation to Boston, which I believe is 600,000 and Boston is considered a relatively small city, um, within the scope of, you know, comparing it to a New York or an LA. Um, so it is a small, uh, a small little place kind of just in the middle of England. And, uh, this club was founded in 1887. Wow. So they just had their 130th, uh, anniversary, um, a couple of years ago, it was founded as St. Luke's football club, um, and then merged with the cricket club of Blake and hall in 1879 and the Blake and hall wanderers were the name of the cricket club. And, uh, they kind of just decided to get rid of the, the Catholic connection and went with, uh, Wolverhampton wanderers as a little homage to the, the cricket club that was there. And so this place, this this club starts in in eighty seven. In eighteen eighty nine, they build their stadium, which is the exact same stadium that they are playing in currently. The exact the Molyneux is the exact same the, stadium. The Molyneux is in the same place. It is the same stadium that they played their first uh, games in in eighteen eighty nine. Jeez, uh, which is which is I knew it had a, I knew it was one of those places that ha, that I could always sense watching games and listening to people talk about Molyneux that it had um, kind of a special place in a lot of English fans hearts. Right. And um, kind of re- obviously realized after after doing this that that it, it has a very deep history in the in the sport of soccer. It was one of the first stadiums that had floodlights. Um. And so it hosted a bunch of 1950s European club games. Uh, it hosted the first UEFA Cup final in 1972. Wow! Um, so it's got it's got a, a bunch of um, a bunch of kind of cool history behind it, and it's just on the same place. So I, I guess the comparison to the United States would be a Fenway or Wrigley Field, where right. they've kind of been in the same place. A Fenway was built in 1914, I think. So even that's 40 years. 40 years younger than, uh, or not quite 40, 30 years younger than, uh, than Molyneux. Um, but the club just kind of renovated it over the course of its history. And, you know, Fenway has done the same thing, adding seats. Um, interestingly enough, if there was a chunk of time where it held, Molyneux held 60,000 people, it was just terraces. So it was standing room only pretty much. There were no seats. Concrete slabs, concrete slabs. And you just, you'd kind of pile in and, and, uh, and watch the game. Um, I'm reminded of, I don't know if you've ever read fever pitch by favorite uh, book. Oh yes. I, I, I guess I should have figured that as an Arsenal fan that you would have, that you would have read it. But I was thinking about that, his stories about guys just peeing in like test tubes during, <laughs> at the game. Cause they were, they're, you're just standing there. And if you, if you leave, you lose your spot. Um, right. So it used to hold 60,000. Then they, you know, renovated it and put seats in and it actually cut the, cut the capacity almost in half. So it seats about 31,000 people. Um, Molyneux name, this is just a kind of a quote from, from, uh, from Wikipedia. The Molyneux name originates from a guy named Benjamin Molyneux, who was just a successful merchant. Um, and in 1744, he purchased the land on which the state, which built Molyneux house, which was later converted to Molyneux Hotel and on which the stadium would eventually be built. The estate was purchased in 1860 by O.E. McGregor, who converted the land into a pleasure park open to the public. It was called Molyneux Grounds. Um, it included a wide range of facilities, including ice rink, a cycling track, um, a boating lake, and most crucially, an area for football. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, it's just crazy that it's been in the same place. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of where, that's where they play it. They've played there for hundreds, uh, more than a hundred years and it's, uh, hosted a bunch of really important games. Um, 
and there's a few that that kind of will come up in the in the history of the club. So as far as the history, it was one of the 12 founding members of the of the football league in 1888. Oh wow! So we're talking like big time players here. They are the they're one of the OGs in uh, in 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 English football. Okay. So 12 teams. Do you think you can name any of the other 12? It's it's a really ragtag bunch. Um, some are in the Premier League now, and some no. I've never heard of. Um, I mean, I, I could I could just name random teams that like are just kind of blind shots in the dark. Go for um, it. Uh, let's see. Ipswich. No, good guess. Um, how about Newcastle? No. Oh, wow. Uh, what was... I'm trying to think. Charlton? Nope. Oh, man. I, I'm not going to guess any of those other brand names. Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Was one of them. Accrington, who I have never Accrington. heard of. I've taken them, I've taken them from uh, <laughs> the lower depths of manager mode FIFA up to the Champions League final. Accrington, Aston Villa, Blackburn Rovers. Sure. Okay. Bolton Wanderers. Yep. Burnley, uh, Derby County, Everton, Knotts County, uh, Preston North End, Stoke, West Brom, and Wolves were the 12 originals. Those are the OGs. Okay. So I I can probably say just from my FIFA career, uh, I've I've heard of some of those teams. Um, But apart from that, no, I I could not have named any of those. Well, Preston North End, I feel like, is one of those clubs that was um, very renowned early on. And I've heard they they just get mentioned when you hear about like old history or old records or old games. But them and Knotts County were the two that I was like, I don't think I've ever really heard or know anything about those places. Preston North End Beckham's Beckham's first club. Oh, I don't know. That's a deep cut if it is. I think it. I think it was. I, I'm gonna try to look that up right now. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So that was 1888. Those 12 teams started um, the football league, and in 1893, Wolves won the FA Cup. Okay. Um, and over the course of kind of early 20th century, uh, they kind of just went up and down. Um, they were pretty solid leading up to World War II, and then World War II had about six years just wiped off of of, uh, of English soccer. Um, and then, so one thing that stood out to me, which was amazing, so they kind of, they had a, a, a good run in the mid-30s just leading up to World War II. Their manager, Major Frank Buckley, this is one of those things I, I, I wish I had more time to look into, if there's any evidence of this actually being a thing that people were doing. He was encouraging their players to inject themselves with money gland extra monkey gland extracts um, wow. as, as a performance enhancer. And the FA didn't really bother dealing with it and didn't sanction stuff like that. So they just they just it was just a thing that they did. And over the course of the years that they were doing it, they the team improved a bunch. Who knows if that was a placebo or his coaching or a little bit of both um, or just the monkey gland extract. Um. So the club, like from eighty, from its founding through the thirties and forties, was just kind of a club. It, you know, it was obviously involved in some close calls. They never really, they never won a league. Um, right. They had that one FA Cup, um, and then in the fifties, which people believe was their best decade, um, they won three league championships. They won two league championships in a row. Um, and it was pretty much them and Man United uh, as the cream of the crop in English soccer. Um, and one of the kind of most revered, famous games that they played, uh, they played Hanved, which was a Hungarian club, in 1953. They hosted Hanved in Molyneux under the lights. Um, the Hungarian that was during, their, that was during their, their glory year, Hanved. They yes. Were- and, they were a big time back yeah, then. And Hungarian soccer was very big. And um, I think they had made, they might have lost in a World Cup final or had been around, a, you know, made a deep run. And right. Hanved was legit. And the Hungarian team had uh, really hammered the English national team um, twice. And a lot of 
Hanved was pretty much like just constructed of the Hungarian national team. Right. And Wolves beat Hanved in that 1953 game. And the English, in typical English style, decided to crown Wolves the champions of the world um, because they had beaten Hanved. <laughs> and at that time, Uruguay was the World Cup champ because they beat Brazil in Brazil uh, in that game that was probably the most painful loss for Brazil ever until Germany destroyed them. Um, what was that, 2014? Yeah, I, I had a... I was living with the with a Brazilian roommate um, down in Houston, and uh, she told me to never speak about those two events ever. <laughs> and those was that the uh, Americana, right? Mar- At the Americana, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, they 1953. They beat Hanved. They were uh, they were kind of stars. They also uh, this so this that game was actually the the kind of birth of European club championships. Um, the, the buzz around the game had people talking and, you know, people in charge decided, well, let's see if we can create some sort of tournament that would have European club teams playing each other. And thus European championships were, were formed in the 1950s. And, uh, and Wolves got to play Real Madrid in 57, 58 and actually beat them in a, in a knockout two game stage. They went to Real Madrid, they went to Real Madrid and beat them five, uh, four aggregate, which is, which is kind of like, so the fifties, they were, they were they were a club. They were big time. Wow, um, which was, which I did was not know cool. that. yeah. And then so the 1960s, they had a pretty tough stretch. This is another thing that blew my mind. Um, there was a chunk of time in 1966 where there were a bunch of there was the um, national professional soccer league and there was also just the united states professional soccer or the npsl which is what pele played in right right um so jack kent cook and lamar hunt who are very well known as as uh, nfl owners started the north american soccer league um and then there was another league that invited current european teams to come to america and play in the United States and represent cities in the United States. So Wolverhampton Wanderers moved to LA for the summer and were the Los Angeles Wolves. The Los Angeles Wolves? They were the Los Angeles Wolves. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. Um, and so that lasted a year. It was, um, let's see. So there were the Boston Rovers who were the Shamrock Rovers uh, from from Ireland, uh, the okay. Chicago Mustangs were her the which was the Cal uh, Calgary. Yep. Uh, the Cleveland Stokers, which was Stoke City. Uh, Dallas Tornado, which was Dundee United. The Detroit Cougars were Glen Torren, which is uh, a, a team from Northern Ireland. The Houston Stars was a Brazilian team called the Bangu AC. The Los Angeles Wolves, which were Wolverhampton. Uh, there were the New York Skyliners, which was a uh, looks like an Argentinian flag. CA Cerro, uh, San Francisco Golden Gate Gales, which was a Dutch team. Uh, Den Haag. Wow. Toronto City was Hibernians team. Uh, Vancouver Royal Canadians was Sunderland, and the Washington Whips was Aberdeen. So those teams competed um, over the course of a summer. So it was it was a little bit like those what we see now with the with the. Um, like those cups that are getting played in the United States. I can see tournaments, yeah. But the fact that the teams were actually just in a city and adopted the name was was crazy. I would pay I'd pay top dollar for that same exact tournament now. The same exact teams, the same exact names with retro jerseys. Yeah. That'd be that'd be an incredible time. Yeah. So that's uh that was that was uh the nineteen sixties for for Wolves, it was a, a kind of a tough stretch, and that was, for me, the highlight that stood out as far as just the history of, of soccer. Wow. Um, 1971, they lost to Tottenham in the UEFA Cup final. And then the 1980s, this is where it gets really bad, and I think this is why as I, I was born in 83, and this I, what's going to happen in the next 35 years in their history is why I think we just thought they were kind of a team that, you know, might've been founded in the sixties or seventies. Um, so they almost went bankrupt trying to renovate Molyneux. Uh, attendance went way down. 
because of a recession and the combination of a million dollar renovation and a recession kind of hammered them pretty hard. Uh, they almost went bankrupt. And some Saudi brothers came in and actually bought them and invested well in the club and kind of got them out from under uh, possible bankruptcy, but then just did not do a very good job getting any sort of you know talent. And they were relegated for three straight years. Um, so they found themselves in the, in the fourth division of English football. Um, in 1986, while in the fourth division, the land and stadium were purchased by Wolverhampton City Council, which is another crazy, crazy thing that I couldn't imagine happening now. Um, and a local developer paid off the club's loans with permission to develop the land adjacent to the stadium. So they were really saved by just local government and a guy with a ton of money who loved wolves. Um, Yeah. So that like the eighties were really tough. Tried to keep Molyneux alive and it it hurt them uh, pretty badly. And they ended up way down. I mean, the fourth division is like, if you get relegated from there, you're, you're, you're done. um, And you're playing in beer leagues. Right. Um, And no one wants to, no one wants that. So especially for a club that was just, that just turned a hundred. Right. Um, so then the club was bat- bought by Jack Hayward, who's a lifelong fan. Um, he paid for another huge renovation of Molyneux, which finished in 1993 when the English Premier League was actually formed. Um, after two close calls for promotion in 95 and 97, uh, they were just kind of stuck a little bit. And finally, in 2003, 10 years after the EPL was formed, they got into the Premier League for the first time but they were relegated immediately and went back into the, uh, the first division, uh, the championship league or whatever championship division, um, in 2004, the club was then again sold, uh, to another businessman in 2007. So like the trend of this club just being like the Saudis come in and save it, but ultimately it's local businessmen and, and everything who kind of just kind of get it out of, out of the biggest trouble. Um, in 2009 and 2010, they, were in the EPL, um, so they they managed to stay up, and then they were relegated in 2011, in 2012 season. Mick McCarthy was fired, and it started a run of a ton of managerial changes. I don't know if you kind of dug into that when you were just looking at their current affairs. Um, they ended up getting relegated twice, so they were in EPL League One, um, and that was kind of their existence until they were bought by Fosun International in 2016, um, which is a Chinese uh, company. And in 2017-18, they won promotion with the most points ever in the champions in the championship. And last year they finished seventh. And this year they are currently uh, competing in the Europa League. Um, from 2012, in February 2012, up until they hired Nuno. Uh, in 2017, in May, they had one, two, three, four, five, six. Nuno was their seventh manager in the span of uh, five years and three months. Yeah, I I got into a little bit of that myself. Um, and and some just two names that that for me just jumped out that were like, wow, those are some gems of names of uh, Mick McCarthy and Paul Lambert. Yeah, and Walter Zenga. And and Zenga, yeah, you can't forget Zenga. <laughs> like, yeah, and Mick McCarthy is now managing the Irish team. Um, sure. And he had a he had a good long. Mick McCarthy had six years with with uh, Wolves, uh, so he was there for a while, and it just kind of turned sour. I think, as things do, like we've said, six years is just about if you're a six managing for six years, that's like forty. It's dog years. Right. Right. It's big time now. Yeah. Uh, so they just tore through managers, and now Nuno has uh, has kind of fixed the whole the whole sh- the whole shebang, and they're they're playing great great soccer, and Molyneux is rocking, and it's a hard place to go win a game. Um, so that's that's at least a, a dip into into the Wolves' history. Yeah, I I mean, it, I think it it's so interesting that Wolves is has this uh, rich European history that that really wasn't or even not even european just but also just international i mean have, going over to la and being the la wolves for, <laughs> yeah for a little bit like wow i i did not expect to hear any of that um you know i thought it was kind of grim and gray 
uh, over in the Midlands, over at Molyneux for a long time. And, and you know, kind of this injection of, of foreign money would, would kind of bring him into light. But, oh, wow, I was wrong. Um, that's that's some cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting. So if, uh, people want to learn more. You can you can go check it out. And and uh, but the thing that's, that I would love to look at more is that 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 summer of of uh, them playing in Los Angeles is very interesting. And I think I got to read, I got to read some more stuff about just like European soccer from the fifties up to now. Um, and like the, the tournaments and how everything was formed. Cause I think there's a lot of teams that just kind of came and went. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can find some absolute gems of stories that just kind of got lost in the archives. Um, you know, of, of, just soccer trying to get trying to get going in different parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you watched the Maradona uh, documentary on HBO. It's amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. And that was that was another. I, I don't think I could have told you that Maradona played in Napoli. I like. I, I, I just it just was not a thing that was really. Uh, it just I don't know. I don't know. I would probably just said he played for Barcelona or he played for, but the the Napoli stuff and like that whole story is also yeah. really interesting. No, I mean, so I, I knew he played at Napoli and I knew, I knew, uh, you know, he, he was pretty much a God there. Like, like Naples loves him. Um, for me, the two things that stuck out for me the most were one, how good he was. Like we all know Maradona is good and, and one of the best ever, but just to see some of the film and, and a footage of him playing, uh, or even him just messing around with the ball, like wow, this guy is amazing. This yeah. guy is nasty. Yeah. The second thing that stood out with me was seeing the footage of his injury at, at Barcelona. Yeah. After that horror tackle, that that was gruesome. I mean, talk about a you know like VAR. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know if any player nowadays would uh, would survive in that in that era of, of tackles. No. No. Um, I mean, throw Neymar into that, into that, uh, into that game. And see what <laughs> so what did you find as you were looking into, um, you were very interested in like the structure of the clubs, which we talked about last week and, and power, oh. power structures and how teams are building and spending their money and, and that, that kind of case study, which is what spurred this whole idea anyway. So what did you find as you were looking, looking into wolves in the present day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, this as an aside before i get into it um i think this is probably the best homework i've I've ever been given by by a teacher um so so thank you for for uh, assigning me this this bit of work i mean i i had so much fun trying to find trying to find out what makes them tick now um you know i I think i'll start with kind of a little bit of overlap with with what you're talking about and just address their prem league their prem league days between 2009 and 2012 and then they get relegated um, and they spend six years uh, in the lower leagues before getting back up to the Prem under Nuno. Um, and, you know, I think I think maybe it was last podcast or two podcasts ago, we called them Little Portugal and kind of laughed at it. Yeah. Um, and kind of, just, you know, uh, said it in, in, in passing. Um, but that was actually the the driving force in, in my search and in, and in my kind of investigation of what makes wolves wolves. Um, so, you know, uh, let's go back to, um, to those, uh, 09 and 2010, 10 years. Um, back then under Mick McCarthy back then, uh, um, you know, up to Paul Lambert, their, their club didn't have many, um, foreign players. And if, if they did, they weren't, they weren't really from anywhere that kind of had this, uh, allure of, of, finesse football or or kind of um flair and 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 pizzazz it kind of was just this what can we do to to bring in a player that fits our english identity our english philosophy of of physical and and dominating aerial football um and you saw you saw certain things change over the years um Back in 2009, they had nine non-UK-based players. So non-UK, I, I threw in Scotland, I threw Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, England into this mix. Um, they had nine non-UK-based players. Uh, of, not, of the nine foreign players, only three 
were were put into creative positions. Only three of them were playing either midfield or striker. A lot of them played keeper. A lot of them played in the back. Huh. 2010, 2011, still nine players. Only two players played in creative positions. Um, 2000, sorry, 2011, 2012, eight, uh, eight foreign players, but none of them featured more than 10 times. And then kind of just to look at the results on, on that side, you look at and see Wolves Wolves conceded, sorry, Wolves scored 32 goals and conceded 20, uh, conceded 56 <laughs> for a negative 24 goal. Game. It gets worse. Uh, Wolves in 2010-2011 scored 46 goals and let in 66 so for a negative 20 goal differential. And they still stayed and, up. And it still stayed up. I mean, it was dark days. But, Jeez. So they were just they were just scraping by. Right. And then finally, in the last last year in the Prem, before their six-year hiatus, they scored 40 goals and let in 82 for a negative 42 goal differential. Wow. So And to give, to give uh, people listening, there's 38 games that are played in a Premier League season. So if you're scoring 40 goals, you're scoring just a hair over one a game. And if you're allowing 82, you're allowing two. I mean, you're losing every game to one. Yeah, that's that's some pretty quick math. I was a Spanish teacher, so I could not come up with that. <laughs> so um, that's 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 really yeah. that's interesting. It, it was it was crazy to, to to look at and and just see. Um, and I bring up the the kind of sub um, category of you know foreign players in creative positions just just because now we have names like Joao Antonio. And, you know, names like um, Ruben Neves, who are kind of anchoring and, and driving this team forward to go forward into attacking areas, which I'll come back to in a, in a second. Um, in contrast, uh, the 2018-2019 season, so last season, um, the numbers are flipped. And Nuno has only 13 UK-based players. The rest are all the rest are all from from all over the place. So, how many guys are are typically held on a on a roster? So, when you're saying when you say there's nine or there's thirteen, that's out of of twenty five. That's out of twenty five. Okay, size maximum of being listed for uh, I think like being registered on the roster is twenty five, um, and you you must have at least i believe the 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 law is at least eight homegrown players right so homegrown means they have come up through the academy they've spent years in the academy some teams have kind of found ways around that in in that they sign them early and then um loan them back out so i mean we always come back to these this team but arsenal um and chelsea does that too Right. They've signed William Saliba, but he's back still in France and he's going to be able to be listed as an as an academy product when he comes back over to England. Um, So eight homegrown players is the is a minimum um, out of 25. Okay. so he's got 12 players, 12 players who are non UK based players um, in in the squad now uh, in 2018, 2019. Um, And then. In just to compare results, he scored. His team has scored. Wolves have scored forty-seven goals and let in forty-six. So a, a positive one goal differential. It, it might not seem like much if you're talking about I'm um, a Liverpool fan. I'm a City fan. You know, banging in hundred goals a season. But I think after three years of of giving up negative twenty to negative forty-two goals, I think you'll take plus one goal differential, um, especially if if you qualify for for Europe uh, in seventh place. So. Some good stuff. Um, and then this season, you know, we're looking at uh, a little bit of a slow start. Um, they've won two games. They've drawn seven, which is a bit bit high for draws. And then they, they've lost two. Of those, of those results, um, they played three of the big six. Uh, United, they drew, and they lost to Chelsea, and they lost to City. I think I, I remember Chelsea, Chelsea hammered them 5-2, five, five, I believe, in that, in that early season battle. Um, but wolves, wolves now are in really good shape. Um, and, uh, I, I just think a lot of it is, is coming down to, to their transfer policy and, and their club structure, um, going forward with Nuno Gomes and going forward with this, um, international investor, Fosun, in, Fosun International. 
um, this Chinese Chinese based uh, investor um, pumping in some some new money, and they're doing it in the right way. I think. What do you mean when you say that? So, of the of the teams, um, and this again, this is like second rabbit hole of of, of nine that I went down. <laughs> of the teams in the in the Premier League, I, I looked at and said, okay, let's just compare. Um, number of, of foreign or non-UK based players in the league um, in in the age of of money and transfers um, and big time signings you know uh, everybody thinks that the answer is some kind of foreign talent to bring in that flair to bring in that that little bit of uh, mercurial unpredictability um, that that will kind of get you over the line um, so I looked at all, all teams that finished below uh, below Wolves in the 2018-2019 season, and let's which, see which is a good split because that's right. literally everyone but the top six. Right. Um, uh, Bournemouth has six non-UK based players. Cardiff has eight. Fulham has seventeen. Huddersfield twenty. Brighton Hove fourteen. Southampton thirteen. Burnley five. Newcastle seventeen. Crystal Palace 16, Watford 19, West Ham 18, Leicester 19. So they're, um, they're kind of in the middle of that group. Right. right. They're in the middle of that group. But something kind of interesting to look at uh, deeper than that is um, kind of this theme of composition of team and, and cohesion. Of all those teams that have uh, a, a higher number of foreign-based players, um, none of them had more than five players from the same country. Huh. So Wolves, and again, we, we said this in passing kind of in, in the last podcast, but Wolves being little Portugal, they have eight players from Portugal. Ten of them are from the Iberian Peninsula. So eight players from Portugal, two players from Spain. Wow. So ten players that share the same kind of style and, and player uh, approach to the game. Not to mention... The, the coach himself is Portuguese. Um, and I think this is interesting, interesting to note just because you're looking at the other clubs, you're looking at uh, a Fulham uh, or a Huddersfield. These players are, I don't know if they have the time or they, if they have the ability to, to gel and, and move as a unit as quickly as, as Wolves has, has, has done over the past two years or year and a half, I should say. Um, Nuno built this team and and they are flying and they're flying fast. Um, you look at Newcastle and all their problems going you know going on right now, uh, and you look at well they, they're spending the money they're spending they're spending um, you know uh, big in, in the market. So is Everton. They're spending big in the market. They've got in players like you know uh, Lucas Digne, uh, Yerry Mina, Andre Gomez. Um, oh. Sorry, Andre Gomez. Um, just a second to kind of send him some some of my best thoughts and send him my my condolences. I wish him the best of of recovery speeds, and I wish him him his family and his friends, um, you know, all the best. Uh, unfortunate unfortunate event, and I really hope he comes back better than before. Yeah, that was that was um, awful. That was a uh, yeah, that hurt me. I, I think no no player wants that. No fan wants to see that, regardless of who you support and who you you cheer for i think um that just hurts the community as a whole so yeah um hearts to him and i hope i hope him hope him the best yeah um but but back to everton um they're spending big time in the market but they're not really uh benefiting or enjoying the, the success that wolves had so so when i say i think wolves is doing it right i i think they're approaching their business model their their transfer policy is that they want to spend money and and they and they want to spend money in a smart way and so they want to bring in players that they think are going to fit into a model and fit into the the identity that that Nuno is trying to build um it's a great cutoff you know looking at the top seven uh, top seven wolves included and then look at the bottom seven you you gotta you kind of have to ignore the top six the Chelsea the City Liverpool United um Tottenham and and all those guys because they have the money to spend on a a star player. They, they can spend big time money on one Argentinian player, one 
Spanish player and then hope he gels with a German player, hope he gels with a, a Belgian player. Um, and it works out just fine because you can kind of bring in these stars. But <clears throat> if you can't bring in, if you can't bring in a star player um, and you can't, you can't bring in uh, a player that's going to bring, you know, bring you 30 goals a season. I think Wolves has approached it and said, all right, well, we're going to bring in kind of, a second tier player uh, that is foreign, that is international, but bring in a lot of that that kind of player identity and that, that player profile. And just conveniently, we'll, we'll bring in Portuguese players because of Nuno's background being from Portugal. Yeah. The, the other thing I wonder about as I was just listening to you, uh, I, I jotted down a note. There's, there's also the challenge as a foreign player person no matter if you're playing soccer or you're just moving to a a new place a new country a new city within a country like Wolverhampton is in the middle of England it is it is not uh, a London or even like a uh, you know uh, Liverpool or a Manchester it is a place where if you are one of one of one (laughs) you know you're you're either you're you're Portuguese and you are looking around and there is no one else who speaks your language. The weather sucks. Uh, You are a two and a half hour drive from London. You are a two hour drive from Manchester, from Liverpool. Um, You are in the Midlands of England. I wonder if that's another kind of part of their, of their building is like, you've got to bring in people who can have people. Um, Yeah. And like that comfort level. Look at, I mean, I, I don't want to belabor or talk about United, but like I think Pogba. Part of what Pogba's problem is is I just don't think he likes Manchester as a city. I don't think it's I don't think it fits his personality. I don't think he likes being in England. I don't think he likes being in a place that you know he's just not. I don't think he's comfortable there. I think there are certain players who struggle, and I think Wolves might have this might have, like that could be part of their thought process. We've got this Portuguese manager. Let's go. If we're going to go get a bunch of uh, foreign players, maybe they should all kind of be something that they can they can kind of rally around each other and they can lean on each other through the crappy winters that we have and through the being, you know, English in an English speaking country. Like I think all those things matter when when teams are building and you're bringing in a bunch of a bunch of people who aren't from that country. I think it's a yeah. real, I think it's a real challenge for teams to to build a culture um, when you do have people from like a lot of different places, I think it has to be very thoughtful. And I think a lot of teams don't build that way. I think they just go and they're like, Oh, we like this guy. We like this guy. We've got a good coach. Let's just put them together. But not everyone can have a, you know, a, a Sala, a Mane and a Firmino who are like awesome and can play together, uh, and happen to be from three very different places and play three di- very different styles and have a coach who's also very different. I think it's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, like to to kind of address the Pogba situation right now at United, um, it's it's worthwhile to to remember that Angel Di Maria didn't succeed at United. Um and, and this guy, you know, came from Madrid after winning Champions League trophies, went to United, kind of sputtered a little bit. Um he did have one I, I remember one chip goal that was just sublime that, that I'll never forget. Um but then left and went to Paris and he's back, back on top of his game. So yep. it's for sure, it's for sure, um, you know, getting into the, to the realms of, of culture and, and environment that, that allows a player to succeed or, or pushes him toward, you know, to a dark place where he just won't be happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's funny to, to look at, you know, uh, a lot of these players. So, um, just looking at the kind of transfer flow um, of of the last the last few years under Nuno, a lot of the players have come from um, Benfica, which is based in Lisbon, Madrid, um, Atletico Madrid, Monaco, Porto, and Anderlecht. So that's kind of the 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 bulk of the of the Nuno transfers um, in the past few years, and it's interesting to, to note that you know Midlands um, in, in Wolverhampton. The weather resembles Lisbon. It resembles that kind of northern Portugal, uh, you know, kind of rain and, <laughs> and cold um, environment. So I think the players are, they almost feel at home away from home. 
they they're doing you know they're they're doing their bits as as pro players, but it definitely helps that this despite you know them not being um, in a super diverse city that that a lot of things do resemble what they're used to. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, I, and I don't want to portray Wolverhampton as as some like you know all English, all white, non metropolitan kind of area. I just I think it's it's just in a place where it I could imagine if you dropped a, one Portuguese person or or one Italian person, I think they'd they'd be looking pretty hard for for people who uh, are are from those places as well. Um, yeah, and I think it's the same in a lot of cities. I think yeah, um, except for those major major cities that have a lot of diversity. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I I think there's this kind of you know shift in in transfer policy. Um, you know, for Wolves and and to go back, I, I think they are doing it right compared to your Everton's, compared to your 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 Huddersfield or your Fulham's uh, and Newcastle's. They're they're going about and they're they're being methodical about who they're bringing in and and, and doing a real uh, delve into player into player profile. Okay, does this player want to be here? Does this player you know um, have the qualities and the traits that that uh, we need him to have in order to succeed? And and I think. Nuno has a great say in that, um, uh, and there is there are some numbers that I want to bring up, just kind of back my my claim, so that I'm not just kind of talking off the off the computer um, a little bit. So, a delve into kind of how they're succeeding, how they're they're doing so well. Um, some stats on last year's on last year's performances. So we were only two months in here, so I won't go too deep into into the wolves of 1920 but um i will talk about wolves 1819 uh from last year um of of the league so in the league uh we we were able to we were able to break up wolves into two different mini leagues so in in their own mini league against the, the top six so this is just if the game, if the league, if the Premier League was condensed into just the top six and Wolves, yep, um, and they played each other, um, Manchester City would would come out in first place with uh, twenty three points. Liverpool would come out second place with nineteen points, and third, surprisingly enough, is Wolves at thirteen points. Huh. Wolves beats out Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, and United um, if, in their top six mini league. Um, with only a negative two goal differential, and so that is some big time stuff. Yeah, going on for, for Wolves, they they earned and and rightly so earned the title of giant killers. Um, these guys were the real deal last year, and and they definitely uh, deserve their spot in Europe. Um, funnily enough, though, the same Wolves team in the same season in the Wolves mini league against the bottom six. This is where things get really crazy. Wolves are dead last. After Burnley, Cardiff, Fulham, Southampton, <laughs> Huddersfield, Brighton, so Burnley finishes off in, in this mini league. Burnley finishes it off with twenty one points. Cardiff seventeen, Fulham fourteen, Southampton twelve, Huddersfield twelve, Brighton, and then Wolves at That's ten points. So um, you can kind of see these guys as like the Robin Hoods of of the league. They take from the rich and give to the poor. <laughs> They uh, they definitely took took the point from from the top six, but they they were just giving these these points away against this, you know, a Cardiff, a Fulham, and a Southampton. Fulham, by the way, went down uh, that year. Yeah, uh, and, and so did Huddersfield. Yep. Um. So yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So I wonder about so those seven ties that they have right now are those all points that they're giving away to teams in the in the bottom of the of the league. Yeah, they it, it's one tie. It's one tie to United, uh, two losses to Chelsea and City, and so the other six ties are um, to you know really just kind of lower league clubs. And I will throw Arsenal into that category of lower league clubs right now. <laughs> Not happy with them at all. Um, but yeah, so so Wolves were, were doing some things that that were really interesting to watch last year. Um, they they. They didn't really, um, you know, go out and and like play this kind of uh, attacking brand of or of free flowing football that that we kind of associate with successful teams. Um, I think Wolves stayed true to their identity as a as a 
you know, mid-tier club. We're going to play conservative. We're going to play smart and and get teams to kind of attack us and then hit them on the break and hit them when we can. So, you know, in this era of high pressing that you see with Liverpool, you see with City, um, Wolves did not, of the 25 games they, they've played that I, I've looked at, they did not actually um, press too much in the opposition, um, in, in the opposing half. They, they sat back in and a lot of their their tackles, a lot of their, their one, uh, one battles were in their own half, uh, which makes sense. Um, and there's this kind of a uh, graphic that I'm looking at right now. Um, the, the, the red, the most red spots, which is going to, um, identify areas of field that, 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 that they win, that they win tackles. A lot of them come in their own kind of, uh, defensive third to this middle third area underneath the, the half line. Um, they sat back in and they did not kind of venture forward. Ruben Neves, who was their anchor in the midfield, um, a lot of his a lot of his kind of activity lived in this area. He he did not he did not venture too far forward over the over the half field line to, to make defensive plays. They sat back in and and they and they compressed. Um, it's worth noting that Nuno coming from Porto, FC Porto, does resemble a lot of the coaching preferences of a Jose Mourinho and Andres, Andres Villaboa um, and and other coaches from Portugal of kind of being conservative, being smart and tactical and sound and then going for present itself. Yeah. So they're going forward and they're, and they're being really, really efficient with their attacks um, and just sound. Yeah. Did you get any, um, I, it's okay if you didn't because the numbers are awesome that you've shared. Did you see any difference between playing at home and playing away, or did you? Um, I did not no, check in home away goals, but um, here's this though. So, of the shots, of the shots that Wolves conceded or Wolves gave up, the expected goals per shot. So, uh, kind of guess the, the probability of that shot going in um, was among the the, the league lowest. So Wolves, Wolves even topped uh, teams like Leicester, teams like United, teams like Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, and City uh, of the of the goals they they were expected to to kind of give up based on the shots they they gave up. So they were they were giving you bad shots. They were giving you shots that you didn't want to take, um, and a lot of it was was able to kind of you know make uh, their keepers Rupert Kishio look look good. Um, they they then we're able to kind of turn those defensive plays into attacking attacking moments and go forward with a, s- a supreme efficiency. Um, their, their, goal, their goal threat, they came from great areas. They came from in, inside the box. So they're playing forward and they're, and they're getting some, some attractive and, and good looks on goal uh, after making these, these plays. Wolves are for sure a, a good team. Um, and, and, I think you know. I think Nuno, Nuno tactically has everybody kind of buying into this into this culture, and he's got this team, you know, kind of blending uh, blending their identities. He's blending the flair and blending the kind of finesse of the Portuguese game with the kind of steel and and defensive rigidity of the English game of of being a, a kind of a mid tier table team, saying we're going to be conservative, we're going to be compact, but when we go forward, we're going to go forward with this different attacking brand of, of football that you don't see at a you know at other clubs and i think it for sure helps when you know five of the guys that touch the ball in in positive transitions are portuguese are from the same culture they understand each other there there's this cohesion and chemistry that you i don't think can get as quickly when you when your your teams from all over the world yeah yeah for sure it's i mean we see it with other we you know the the Spanish national team just pretty much being plugged into the midfield at Barcelona, um, the German right. the German national team just living in Bayern Munich for a little bit like th- those things matter and then it 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 also I, I don't think I don't I, I don't know if Wolves players are at the same level in the national stage but like it also just bleeds over into the national teams when you have a bunch of guys who are playing together year round almost um, it makes a big difference on on both ends. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's you know you you look at you look at the at the 
at the high end clubs, the clubs that, that can afford to, to spend all that money for sure. You've got, you've got, um, you know, the ability to, to go splash out on, on like that, just that one player from, from a different country that, that, uh, that no one really, you know, no one else comes from. So, you know, you got your Obama gang from, from Gabon. Um, and you can't really build a, a, a team of players from everybody from Gabon. You, you can't, really, <laughs> you know, um, like you can from Portugal. Um, but those are those, those anomalies of, of saying, you know, we've got the money, we got the, the, the ability to splash on a player that that's going to add to our team and we'll, we'll go do that. Or we'll go spend money on a, a great right winger from, from Wales, you know, who's got a great left foot or we're spending money on an Argentinian, you know, who's going to go down as one of the best players ever. Yeah. Wolves is, is they're kind of like thrift store hunters. They're, they're going in and they're being smart with their, with their buys and, and make the most of it. Um, they are spending money. I, I don't want to say they aren't spending money. They are spending money. They're, they're spending tons of money. They're, I think their transfers are, you know, going in at the numbers of 15 million to 30 million dollars a, a transfer so so it's not like there's this pro uh this this poor club that's you know playing money ball and, and doing and doing things that on the cheap um but the way they're spending it i think is is definitely smart uh and and they're they're going out and really trying to put in these pieces that that they think are gonna take them forward and and it has been yeah they can't be frivolous uh with their spending that's the they're just, they just they have to be thoughtful about what they're doing. They can't just go be the the guy in the transfer market that's going to spend a ton of money on one or two guys or go no. chase a uh, you know McGuire or a right you know Van Dyke or whoever. Which leads me to a, a next point: um, the 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 similarities you know and the kind of the parallels that that you draw you can draw with Nuno and, and other Portuguese managers. Um, is the fact that his agent is a man named George Mendez. And George Mendez is known in the football world as this super agent, as this guy that, that kind of just has his hand in almost every big transfer you can think of. Um, George Mendez also shares the same uh, kind of, sorry, Nuno shares the same um, uh, agent as as Jose Mourinho and, and Andres Villaboas. So, this this super agent has helped broker a lot of the deals of, of getting these Portuguese players into into Wolves. So there's kind of this streamline of players that are just under a you know a certain tier of players. So they're not spending, they're not going out and spending tons and tons of money, eighty million dollars, ninety million dollars, but they are getting a good deal on on that second rate. Uh, player coming in, a uh, João Moutinho who came from Monaco, a Ruben Neves, um, a Rupert Chichio who came on a free, um, you know, uh, Jota, um, and 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 other players from 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 around that kind of um, Iberian Peninsula, um, and it's really interesting to to see them kind of kind of you know finagle their way around uh, uh, the market. So if you had told me we'd spend ever in my life, I'd spend an hour talking about wolves. I would have told you you were crazy, and uh, and we wow. just we just about did it. Um, I like it, I think it's it's one of those teams that if I was a kid and had to press the reset button, I, like I would think about following wolves. Yeah, I uh, love their uniform. Like their color is kind of interesting. Um, they play a, a good brand of soccer. They're not always going to win. Um, which I think as a kid, you don't necessarily aren't crazy about that. They're, they, they could end up relegated in two years and sure. disappear for, for another five or six years. But they're definitely a team now that, that I, I know a little bit about them. I will um, definitely watch a little bit closer and, and follow a little bit more. Uh, so that was a fun, that was a fun little homework assignment we gave ourselves. I'm glad we, I'm glad we dove in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super happy too. I think, uh, I think, Wolves is is interesting. They're they're not, you know, they're not a great academy team. They don't they don't produce that many academy products in in the senior team right now. Um, but they're kind of going out and and taking the model of you know of a of a big time spending club and then applying it into what they can do um, and what's feasible for them. Um, and it's really interesting. So I think I'm with you too. I think if if I could choose a, a different team and kind of do it all over again. 
um, a team like Wolves, a team you know under kind of the guidance of, of Nuno would definitely be attractive to, to support.